Welcome to the Fit and Fierce podcast, a show to inspire and empower you and remind you that we're all a little messed up and that's okay. I'm your host, Megan. And in my personal journey, I realized that the fiercest thing I ever did was to ask for help. I no longer wanted my story to rule me. I was going to own it and share it. And throughout each one of these episodes, I want you to remember that being flawed doesn't make you less. It makes you more. Hey there, lady. Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you believe it? We are officially in the 100s for episodes. Episode 104 today, not just at 100, we are past it. It is is blowing my mind. I am pinching myself that this is even real and I so, so deeply and greatly appreciate each and every one of you being here and listening. I know that I sound like a broken record when I say it and I probably even sound like a broken record when I say that piece of it too, but I just mean it so very much. When I think of why I created this podcast and a platform for women to show up and be their true, fierce, authentic self... Sarah is the exact woman who I envisioned interviewing, and my guest today, Sarah Olszewski, which I know I just butchered the last name, and I do even in the episode, so Sarah and your entire family, I deeply apologize. Sarah walks us through the journey that involves being diagnosed with leukemia at 23 years old, losing her father in the midst of treatment battling imposter syndrome, fighting that urge to just check the boxes off and do exactly what you're supposed to do and be told, to finally standing up and honoring her truth and knowing that she wants to show, not she wants to, she is finally showing women that they can ditch yo-yo diets for good, that it really, really, truly comes down to balancing your blood sugars what that means, how that looks like, and how you can implement that in your day. Sarah is so sweet, so kind, and I so am grateful that she was a part of it. Welcome back, everybody. I'm beyond excited to sit down and chat today with my guest, Sarah Olcheski. And I we just went over the pronouncing of her last name, but I'm kind of holding my breath that that's right. So did, did I put it close. too bad? Olcheski. Olcheski. Uh-huh. I'm even like I I'm from born and raised in Wisconsin like I get those last names but man they're tough yep married into it for sure (laughs) well above and beyond a last name with lots of w's and z's and x's in it who is Sarah who is this person that I've just been butchering her last name of Yeah, so my name is Sarah. I'm a nutrition and weight loss coach, and I help tired and hangry women finally lose weight while ditching perfection and finding diet freedom. So, if you've ever heard that hangry term before, I know that I use it a lot. It's kind of that like feeling like you need to eat right now, or whatever's in front of you, you just have to eat, or you're going to get angry or irritable. Just that really just need to eat right now feeling. Now, I may very strongly relate to the term hangry, very, very, very strongly. Is this legit a thing or is this something that like I've been accused of using as an excuse because I'm having a meltdown like a toddler and I'm just really hungry? I think it actually could be both, you know. So for me personally, I know that this is a thing because I have 
found ways to get rid of that where I don't ever really get that feeling anymore. Like it takes a lot for me to feel hangry these days, whereas five years ago, it was a daily occurrence. So I truly believe that it should be like a definition in the dictionary, but I think that it really depends on your diet and your genetics and different aspects of who you are as a person if, if this happens to you or not, because I'm sure there are people out there who are like, I've never felt that. Well, I would like to be them because it legit just goes from zero to 100 very rapidly in my, in my world. Yes. You said five years ago that was something that you were experiencing regularly. Sarah, what's different from five years ago compared to today? Sure. So I think even just five years ago or my whole life, I was somebody who I would consider a yo-yo dieter, which I know a lot of women can relate to. I definitely was a food restrictor and then over-exerciser, and then I would go all, all out on the weekends. I've pretty much tried every diet that you could imagine. Um, it's something that I've struggled with most of my life. So I can remember the first time I ever thought about weight was probably about second grade. I remember asking my mom um, if I rode my bike, if that would help me to lose weight. So it's definitely something that has been on my radar basically my whole entire life until about two years ago where I found a way to really stop that diet cycle and really start living a healthy lifestyle that didn't leave me feeling like I was restricting myself all the time and needing to bounce back on Monday morning or something like that. Just breaks my heart when you say that in second grade, you were aware of that or having thoughts of that or even knew what that meant. Um, I, as a young girl, felt very much the same way too. And just, it's just heartbreaking to now as an adult sit back and hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it probably breaks my mom's heart too. So obviously this is nothing against you, mom. <laughs> um, like it's, uh, it's just something that I think, especially unfortunately girls deal with at a younger age than we even realize is um, just like this idea of perfection and seeing it in social media nowadays where back then it was obviously magazines and things like that. And I had always been a little bit on the heavier side. And it's, I, I thought that, I mean, looking back that it was just me, but now that I know more about like the science behind it, it, it makes a little bit more sense to me. What, um, what was the catalyst of saying, I need to make some changes. I am over this. I can't do this yo-yo place anymore. Yeah. So there's actually a pretty big backstory to it. So if we kind of go to like 2009, which was 10 years ago, which I was is, in college. Just, at that's wild. First of all, <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously, that it's going to take that long to like build up to this moment. But it really like, if, if you think about most people and their diet, mentality or their diet history has followed them their entire life. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, so about like 10 years ago, I was in college. And that was the year that I was scheduled to graduate college. And I just remember feeling in college, like, what am I doing here? I kind of was it was deep into that diet restriction over exercising mentality where i treated college like the most expensive gym membership or hotel mm -hmm. that you could ever afford. Mm -hmm. So I always just kind of felt like I was there going through the motions, but I didn't feel deeply connected to the fact that I was going to school for pre-vet because that had always been my 
quote unquote plan was to be a veterinarian and I was checking boxes and I was there, but I never really felt like in it. And so I graduated college and slowly started to realize that I just did not feel well. Like I was having a lot of um, dizziness and I had bruises on me that just seemed to like stick around. Um, I had an impacted wisdom tooth and I went for a run one day and this one was what really stuck out to me because I had been a runner for a long time. And what I realized was I, on my normal three mile loop that I would do almost every day, I got halfway done and my heart rate was 199 beats per minute, which if you know anything about heart rate, even at 23 years old, it should not be that high when you're running. So I kind of knew something was wrong, but it's kind of in the, one of those moments that it's like you're in denial of it. But because of this impacted wisdom tooth and I was getting um, these fevers on and off, I decided like it, maybe it has something to do with that. So I went into the oral surgeon to get my tooth looked at and the oral surgeon took one look at me and was basically like, I'm not going to touch you until you get a CBC. So I was like, okay, strange, but sure. I'll go get one. So I got the CBC done. The next day, my mom and I were sitting in the waiting room waiting for my results. And the doctor walked in and he sort of looked at me and was like, so you either have a blood virus or you have leukemia. And that's never something anyone's expecting to hear when they go in for something like a CBC. But in that moment, I just kind of started putting all the pieces together and how I had been feeling the last couple months And I knew pretty much instantly that it was leukemia. So they did transfer me to a facility to get that diagnosis confirmed, which they did do the next day, confirm my diagnosis. And I was transferred to Freighter. I spent about 26 days in the hospital. So um, through that, obviously, I went through chemo and had lost all my hair and Really, I don't remember a whole lot of being in the hospital, just that I was really obviously longing to get out like 26 days. It doesn't seem like too long until you're sitting in, inside and you can't go outside and it's July and it's beautiful outside. And I'm someone who loves warm weather. It was just like torture for me. So uh, we got up to 26 days approximately, and I was supposed to have another bone marrow biopsy to see if the particular chemo that I was taking was um, basically clearing my leukemia and if I would be able to go home. So on that 26th day, my mom and my oldest brother were there with me waiting for the results after my biopsy. And my mom decided to call my middle brother to talk to my dad. So she did that. And it was very strange because she actually called his work first. And his boss was like, he's not here. Um, He didn't show up this morning. And so we were like, well, that's very out of character for my dad. He never missed work. So in that moment, I knew something else was wrong. Like I was just like, oh, my gosh, what could this possibly mean? So my brother answered the phone and my mom asked him what was wrong. And unfortunately, um, overnight, completely unexpected, my my dad passed away from an arrhythmia. So on top of the fact that we're dealing with a cancer diagnosis, we now just lost my father as well, completely unexpected. So um, obviously, that was a very traumatic period of all of our lives, all three of us. Um, It took us years and years and we're still like (laughs) processing and recovering from it. Even 10 years later, I mean, I think every year we get stronger as a family with learning how to communicate and things like that, that really it's, it's become something that we kind of all 
rally around and try to be better, better every day for it. So how this ties in is that like, um, that kind of feeling where it's like, you think that you should in that moment, or I think that I should have kind of been like, I'm going to run with my life now. Like I'm a cancer survivor that all this has happened to me. And I had been through so much, but what I didn't realize is there was like a whole lot more ahead of me, like a whole lot more. You can't even imagine. I'm sure after cancer and losing your dad, that there's going to be more, but throughout the next 10 years there are eight to 10 years, I should say there was a whole lot more that happened. So if you fast forward to about two years ago, um, I had managed to make a really great life for myself. I dug my way out of debt from having cancer and not being able to really afford like my student loans and things like that. So I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was married to my now husband. Um, We have this beautiful home. That's basically my dream. Like it's like a horse farm and I've always wanted horses. So like on paper, everything was going great. And I was checking the boxes, but I really like just felt super unfulfilled and had also put on like 35 pounds since, since meeting my husband and throughout my life, like I had always gone up and down in weight, but this was absolutely the heaviest that I've been. And I had could not figure out what was wrong, like why I couldn't zone in and like do why the things that I was doing before weren't necessarily working anymore. Um, so at, like at work all the time, I would find myself listening to these health podcasts. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sean Stevenson, but the model health show mm-hmm. health podcast that I ever listened to. And I just love him. But for some reason, I was just pulled to all these podcasts and Audible and like um, online books about health and nutrition. And I'm like, there's something here. Like, I'm like, obviously not completely fulfilled by the job that I currently have. Why am I so drawn to this? But then deep down, I was like, who am I to do that? Like, I don't, I mean, I went to school for biology, biomed, but I'm not necessarily like a trained personal trainer or anything like that. So I just kind of continued to keep putting it off for a while, but it kept coming back. Like I, I know that like a lot of entrepreneurs have that imposter syndrome initially where they're like, who am I to do this? Like, like they kind of think about it or they might dabble in it. And then they, they think like, well, who am I to start that? That's not really what I should be doing. Um, So I just kind of sat on it for quite a while. And then in November of 2017, I actually lost a really close friend of mine to cancer and it was kind of like a slap in the face to me personally, like, like the way that I felt about it was like, I'm slapping myself in the face. Like, like, what am I doing here? Sitting here as a survivor, like not living into something that fulfills me. I kind of was like, suddenly who am I not to be living a life that I'm fulfilled by? And I was able to take that, that sad, occurrence in November, 2017 and, and sort of turn it into a positive in the fact that I was able to really make a huge change, like a 180 degree turn in my life and realize that what I was doing wasn't working and it was just going to continue to get worse if I didn't address it. So that's kind of when I had started listening or like really listening to myself for the fact that these podcasts were really speaking to me. And I kind of fa- fell into um, this, this statistic on one of them from a, a registered dietitian named Lily Nichols, who I've become a little bit obsessed with now <laughs> in the healthiest way possible. <laughs> Just like she's really into blood sugar control. 
And um, I have a lot of diabetes in my family, but I never really linked the two. And when I was listening to this particular podcast, um, she had a statistic, and I'll just share it with you so you can hear how much it clearly fires me up. So it's children born to mothers with poorly regulated blood sugar are sixfold more likely to struggle with obesity or diabetes in their lifetime. And when I heard that, it was kind of like a light bulb moment for me. Like I kind of realized, like I said, I had a lot of diabetes in my family. I I don't have diabetes and actually I've managed to maintain a pretty healthy blood sugar. But my mom did have gestational diabetes with me in the 1980s. And in the 1980s is when we started to really test nationally for blood sugar in pregnancy. And usually um, what they do is they'll give you like a, it's called a glucola test around your late second to early third trimester to test to see if you have gestational diabetes. So that's really what they didn't start doing that until the 1980s. So that was around the time that my mom was pregnant with me. It was one of the first years that they started doing it. And she did indeed have gestational diabetes. So what the point is of where the mark is being missed is that these women are going through unknowingly going through one to two trimesters, possibly slightly more of uncontrolled high blood sugar, and it's having lasting effects on their unborn child. And so when I look back on my life of like not ever being able to feel like I could maintain my body weight with whatever, whatever diet I was trying at the time, like other people would try X diet and be able to maintain a weight. Whereas like I was always up and down no matter what I was doing. Um, it kind of made a lot more sense to me why or why you might look at your friend who can eat ho-hos and donuts all day and not gain a pound. Whereas if you eat one, you feel like you're gaining weight. So there's like that. I know there's a lot of women who can relate to that, at least like that not being able to maintain, even though you're really not eating too much and really your body doesn't even um, assimilate or digest and uptake all of the nutrients that you're consuming. So why is it that some people can eat all of those things and be pretty much okay and others get these hangry, yo-yo dieting, restricting like cycles that they go through? So that's the scientific basis around it. And what I wasn't getting either in those years up to leading to me realizing that this was something that I was, had been struggling with was obviously like the mental aspect too, which I'm so happy to see that so many coaches are incorporating these days into their programs is that mindset behind dieting and why it doesn't work. So that was a little bit long winded, but so that's kind of how everything ties in together with how I finally figured out that this, this thing that I struggled with my whole life while I thought it was like a, a problem with me and not being able to stick to something really came down to genetics and mindset. I, there's so much that I want to unpack in all of this. Um, First of all, thank you for sharing because a lot of that, it's heavy, not all, a lot of it, it's heavy. Yes, it it is. All of those pieces. (laughs) Um, If we can kind of just go back, Sarah, what was it like to be probably what, 22, 23? 23. 23. What was it like to be 23 and to be diagnosed with leukemia? Like, do those words even penetrate you? In the moment, I think that, um, 
like I, I almost took it in stride, which is good and bad, because I think that I spent a lot of years kind of numbing the feeling of having leukemia and I didn't accept counseling or grief counseling or anything after, even though looking back, I absolutely should have, but I kind of even had, I had this mentality and I had this pretty much my whole life of like, Sarah just takes care of things. And when things happen, we just keep moving forward. So I think there's always that initial gut punch, like, okay, here it is. But I never can say that I once felt like I wasn't going to survive. And maybe that is kind of that mentality of like, just keep going forward and keep pushing forward, which is, like I said, good and bad in some respects compared to others. Um, but it's obviously nothing, nothing that you ever prepare to hear, especially leukemia at 23, you think like children get leukemia. So it was definitely a shock. And, um, yeah, it's just still even looking back. Sometimes it just doesn't even feel real. And how would it, what a surreal experience. Yes, absolutely. And, And then you tack on the losing your father a death of somebody that again at a very young age unexpectedly shouldn't be something that a 23 year old is having to deal with and having to go through yeah it definitely I mean even at 23 like you think you're graduating college you should be grown up by now but I really wasn't at 23 if I think back to it like I was still pretty young yeah (laughs) I mean I think back to my mom at 22 or 23 she was having her first child but like for me it's like I think back and I'm like well I was still a a child like Mm -hmm. it's it definitely caused me to to kind of quote unquote grow up a little bit faster than I had expected to and the part that I just want to really really highlight is the piece when you were talking about listening to podcasts and finding something that instinctually you were just so drawn to, even though that wasn't your path or what you were supposed to be doing, you kind of stepping up and battling that imposter syndrome saying, my gut is telling me I'm going to lead with this. I'm going to do with this because I feel really drawn to it. Yeah. So there must be deep down some sort of rebel in me because I've always been kind of that box checker rule follower. Like I had mentioned that I was going to school for pre-vet. So I had drawn a picture at one point in my life when I was younger of me as a veterinarian and it hung on my fridge forever. And I always wanted stuffed animals for Christmas and things like that. And I would put band-aids on them. So that's like what I made as my identity at a young age. But I think that like once I got to college, I kind of realized that it really wasn't my passion, but it was almost like I've created this identity. So I just kept going with it. But then when things started to get so hard that like, I couldn't stop ignoring the fact anymore that I was so drawn to health. I, I just kind of had this moment where I was just like, why am I, why am I shoving this down and ignoring it? Why am I trying to force something that I'm not really that passionate about? And, and why don't I allow this part of me to come out? Those words that I wish that so many other women would really, really sink in and hear and saying, we create these storylines, we box ourselves in, we create this identity for ourselves, not meaning to come from a bad place, but there is an ease and an okay to say, this isn't the path that I want. And I want to explore something different. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's totally okay. And I do wish that was more the norm. Um, I know like 
especially with the rise of social media now, I think a lot more younger adults have exposure to other things that they can do. But it was very much cut and dry when I was in high school. You had a guidance counselor and they directed you on a path towards a career and then you found the best school for that. And then you applied to that school and you went and you graduated and that's what you did. Like, that's just how there was no other expectation really in my school, at least that there was another option. So I just kind of always felt like that's where I had to go. I agree so much. And now looking back to at people were pretty close in age, people in our age bracket, I look back at my close friends and I think, almost all of them that I graduated college with or high school with that went on for something else aren't doing what they spent four years or five years of their life in college studying to do. They've shifted and changed. And that's a really neat place for us to be at and to be. Yeah, it is so interesting to think about how few people are actually doing what they expected. And who at 18 or 23 or who knows what you want to do (laughs) with the rest of your life? It seems so crazy to look back and think now about it, but it made total sense at the time. Yeah. And and, and in some like aspects, when you're that age, you're like shopping for your prom dress while also deciding what you're doing for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good dual view to think about and to kind of assess from side to side. I also really appreciate the piece that you are bringing that nobody has brought to this podcast in, I think this is episode one, some 100 something, 106. We'll, we'll look it up when it comes out. But what you talk about is there's science in this. It's not a lack of willpower. It's not a lack of dieting. It's not a lack of not understanding nutrition or our bodies. It's science. There is a reason why some people struggle more than others. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the science nerd of me like comes out in this all the time. And I know it's not everybody's wheelhouse, but I absolutely love the movements right now of like the body positivity. And I completely get on board with that, but there is a certain aspect where you have to bring it back to the science and um, I know that there are there are people who can be healthy at any weight or even unhealthy at a low weight. There are plenty of people who are diagnosed with gestational diabetes who are actually under what you would expect somebody to have issues with blood sugar, like under that BMI or weight or whatever your doctor is going off of. So I think it's really important to have like a view of, yes, we need this body positivity and there is health at every size, but there's also unhealthy people at every size. And what, what this really is like brought this passion out in me is this, like, I kind of explain it as like a general generational, like disease is, I mean, you hate to call something like this a disease, but it really can manifest itself into diabetes very young. This is why we're seeing a lot of younger children with diabetes and obesity issues is that when they don't have when their mothers don't have controlled blood sugar. And I'm not talking about like, like type one diabetes. This is mainly type two diabetes, but like when you're not having that maintained healthy blood sugar and it's really not even as high as most people think, like it's, it's not that high where you start to have effects on the unborn child. When you're not having that, you're not only affecting yourself and the fact that you are not going to have 
as the mother potentially higher risk for diabetes later, but you're also affecting your unborn child. And I think that's where really my passion comes from is that like, yes, let's focus on the fact that diets don't work, but we also have to think about the science and why it's important to really be watching these things. It's an interesting space where your worlds are colliding of ending diets and stopping that yo-yo stopping hangry, stopping in his tracks, but still coming from a place of that doesn't mean you're going willy nilly. That doesn't mean that it's just a free for all. It still means that we have to be aware of what we are putting in our bodies, not because we want to fit a certain mold, but because we actually want to be healthy and we want our children to be healthy if you're choosing to have children. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's very like sometimes it might be hard for people to to kind of understand both sides, especially if you don't have the science brain. But it's so important to not, like you said, go willy-nilly on your diet and just eat whatever you want. But it's also important to enjoy things. Like I've I I actually convinced myself when I was in I think college or maybe it was late high school that I didn't like bacon, which is a complete lie. <laughs> because I thought it was like I was in the, that like low fat stage, you know, how there were like different stages, like 90s to 2000s were like low fat, let's eat those 100 calorie packs and you'll lose weight. So I like convinced myself that I didn't like bacon because like it was too fatty. So like there's like that strange part where you're like lying to yourself about something that you actually like or you're restricting it or taking it out of your diet altogether because you're quote unquote not allowed to have it, but you really like it. And so there's like there's a way to balance and like sometimes I hate the word balance because it seems so easy like like you say it and it's like oh yes we're balancing this but um, I actually have found a, a place in my life where I mainly do like to eat super healthy foods but I had pizza for lunch today and I'm not beating myself up over it <laughs> life life yeah exactly <laughs> And if you are having pizza for lunch and you can do so and not feel bad about it, there's not a need or a desire to have it every day or to have it again tonight or to restrict everything out of your diet like crazy because you had something that tasted good for lunch today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people do that where they they have it for one day or they have it for one meal. And so they, they do that like, well, I might as well just eat ice cream for dinner as well because I had pizza for lunch but you really can get to a place where you have like eggs and vegetables for breakfast then you have pizza for lunch and now I'm I'm my plan is to have a chicken caesar salad for dinner and I'm choosing that because I know it's going to make me feel really good and it's like getting out of that that mindset where it's all or nothing and that's where that like restriction comes in and then the rebel in you wants to go out and like eat something fun because you've been so good all week. So then when the weekend comes around, you over drink or you overeat and then you feel awful about, about it. Like, so you try to compensate with more exercise, which just ends up making you more hungry. And it is a vicious cycle and it's something I was stuck in for many, many years. So I totally get it. So for those people that are listening that are still there, I totally get that. And I definitely feel for you because it is it, when you're in it, it feels impossible to get out of. What are some steps that you give the women that you work with or the people that you serve? What are the steps when they're saying, I don't know 
how to get out of this? Where do I begin? Yeah. If they're feeling that particularly, like, like I said, hangry feeling, or they're feeling like they need to eat every one to two hours, another feeling that you might get if you have like blood sugar issues is sweaty palms, dizziness. Um, Like you, you might feel just in general, like you, you just need calories. So you don't really pay attention to what you're eating. It's more just whatever's in front of me that I can get down as fast as possible. So a few of the steps that I kind of have people start with is like, one, I want you to do your own test of eat, eat for breakfast one day, something that's like eggs and vegetables, maybe like a piece of toast. If, if you kind of don't really have blood sugar issues yet, you might be able to get away with that and put butter on your toast. Like it's okay to eat butter. (laughs) It's not going to hurt you. Um, like a lot of people think that it's going to. So I start with that and then like compare that to the next day, have something like oatmeal and milk and berries and just like decide yourself how you feel an hour to two hours later. If you're finding that you're super hungry in an hour or even two hours, likely that meal spiked your blood sugar and that's why you're feeling like you want to eat again. So if you're not feeling like that and you're kind of feeling like that calm, satiated, like maybe you could have a handful of almonds or something, but you don't need to go eat all the donuts in the break room. That's what your goal is. And that's why I tend to actually limit my carbs because I do have a little bit of carbohydrate intolerance. I tend to limit them in the morning because when you set your blood sugar up for success in the morning, it keeps you from having those like dips and spikes that is going to cause you to want to overeat or to eat more carbs because that's usually the fastest energy source. So I always have people start there and kind of just assess how they feel. And another thing obviously is like, making sure you're getting enough water, making sure you're sleeping really well. Alcohol also plays a huge part in like our hunger and fullness cues. So like if you drink the night before, the next day, you're likely going to feel hungry just because of hormones that change when you're drinking. So um, a lot of things are like a, like you have to test it out and see how your body reacts first. Um, Another thing is I like to focus on healthy fats because those tend to be the most filling and satiating. So I do tend to have people try, like if they are still getting that kind of hungry feeling after having something like eggs in the morning, maybe you want to add like a cup of bone broth to that or an avocado or some kind of healthy fat that's going to help you really stay satiated. So those are a couple of the first tips that I give people. I am the same way. I meet all of the ladies that I work with with basically a question back. I don't really ever feel like I give them information. I do maybe and I sneak it in, but it's how do you feel? Because what works for Sarah maybe doesn't work for you and maybe it doesn't work today, but maybe hormones shift a little bit and three months down the road, it's okay to flex and change and to just modify as your body is telling you it needs to. Yeah. And that's so funny. It's like, we've gotten so far away from that idea of like, how do you feel? Like we want this cut and dry, um, eat this at this meal, eat that at that meal. Like if I could get a dollar for every person that wants a like a strategic meal Mm -hmm. plan, like (laughs) it just doesn't work. And that's why like a lot of diets don't work for me personally, like macro counting didn't work for me because of that same thing where it's almost like, you're scheduling 
ahead of your day what you're going to eat the next day, regardless of how you feel. So maybe in the morning, you're not feeling your egg breakfast burrito that you had scheduled. And so it left you really unsatisfied. So an hour later, you want to eat again, just simply because you didn't feel like fulfilled after you ate that for breakfast. So it's really just like, get back in tune with how do you feel like physically, like emotionally to what you ate? Cause it is okay to like eat things that you enjoy on, on like against popular opinion. It's okay to have <laughs> like <laughs> things that you enjoy eating. And then how do you feel after you ate it? And the value of what that gives to you. Maybe yes. the bacon or whatever, well, you like it now, but <laughs> saying I don't like bacon, but in reality, there was value in that because you enjoyed it and it tasted good and you had it with people that you loved. And so that weighed higher than if it maybe didn't balance your, balance your blood sugar the best or made you feel a little lethargic or bloated after. There's not only do we eat to nourish, we eat to satisfy and we eat because it's food and it's an, it's okay to be enjoyed, just like you said. Yeah. And there are definitely some things out there that are like healthy foods that I'm like, well, I can take or leave that. And I've been able to kind of get over that in the past few years. Whereas before I'm like, nope, like kale's a healthy thing. So I have to eat it all the time. Whereas I really only like it occasionally sauteed and some butter with lemon on it. That's pretty much the only way I like kale. (laughs) So like forcing myself to eat kale salads is not helping me in any way. I bought tomatoes every week in college and I ate them on salads every meal or lunch and dinner every single day. And I hate tomatoes. I hate tomatoes. (laughs) I actually would save them all to the end, push them at the end of my plate and then just put them whole in my mouth and choke them down because I hated them so bad. And it was for years. And eventually I just had to stop and say, why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are you doing it? But because they were healthy and that's what you're, you're supposed to eat healthy food. It's, that's it's so, so funny worse. that you say that about tomatoes. Yeah. It's like, what, like, why do we do that to ourselves? And in like the complete opposite aspect, I tried keto a few years ago for a while. And like, if keto works for you, great. I hope you're doing it the right way. But <laughs> I actually love tomatoes and like getting tomatoes out of my garden is like one of my favorite things to do. And that summer I let all of my tomatoes rot because I wasn't allowed to eat them on my plan because they'd kick me out of ketosis. So it's like, that's so funny. in like one aspect, you're like, why am I forcing myself to eat tomatoes? And for me, it's like, why am I letting these like go to waste? Because my diet says I can't eat them. Just the total end of the spectrum, but yet still basically diet culture skewing our views so badly. Yes. So badly. And not listening (laughs) to your body, not eating these, what you say are great tasting food, but ripe fresh (laughs) tomatoes from your garden that don't, nothing tastes any better than when it comes from the garden. Right. Yes. (laughs) And then to not eat them all summer long because that's not what you were supposed to do. Yeah. It's so sad. It's like funny and sad at the same time. It is. Looking back, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. But for anybody out there listening, we get it. It's Mm -hmm. okay. And it's, it's hard, but to just step back and say, how does my body feel? I don't care what I'm eating. How do I feel when I'm eating it? Yep. Yeah. 
I hope that's something that really, like you just said, like there's, there could be somebody listening right now who just thought like, I I'm having this issue right now where I'm not allowing myself to eat tomatoes. And there has to be that, that part where we remember that there are people out there still in that um, kind of that belief where they're restricting themselves from eating something that they actually like. So like, what, like I said, like I, it's funny for me to laugh at it now, but it's not funny for somebody who's sitting in it right now, feeling guilty about eating a tomato. So yeah, it's absolutely something that I hope that if, if you're out there and you're hearing this, that it's totally okay to feel that way and to learn that, that there are other options too. And just be okay with releasing that being really rigid in that plan or whatever you're following is keeping you stuck. And again, coming from experience, it's even if you're following a meal plan and that's working great, or you're doing macros and that's working great, whatever is working great is good. As long as you still can be flexible enough to go off, go off plan for a day or two or a meal or a week or whatever it is. Yeah, I always say it's it has to be sustainable. Like it sounds so so boring, but like a sustainable healthy lifestyle is always what I'm pushing people towards because if it's anything other than that, you're going to feel restricted and you're not going to stick to it. One thing can we derail a tiny little bit, Sarah, and just talk about one thing I love so much about you following you on Instagram is your open and honesty that you give to all of your followers about If you're struggling with not being motivated one day or not getting up early or not sticking to a morning routine or whatever it is, you bring this sheer level of honesty that I appreciate so much. And I just first want to say thank you for being real and being a real figure in social media terms. And what what is that game like for you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for saying that. And it's so funny because initially when I started sharing that, and I think it, it might be, I'm not sure what, in particular what you're referencing, but this past year has been particularly hard for me. I, I think maybe some people might know that I was struggling with my dog having cancer. And so like I wasn't sleeping at all at night and really wasn't able to get up and do my normal morning routine that I've come to actually love. But also being okay with it, knowing that that was just, it's just a a phase of my life and that it's going to eventually pass. And it's taken me 32 years now to get to that place where I'm not beating myself up over the fact that I missed a workout or um, I can't particularly eat on plan today because I'm just emotionally like drained, like something like that. And at first it got, it was really difficult for me to be honest about that and share that on social media because it was like, um, like I almost still had this mentality with, Oh, if I'm coaching people, I can't show them that this, this isn't working because then they're not going to trust me. But the more I thought about it, I was like, well, would I expect any of my clients to go through that and still be perfect? And I was like, well, absolutely not. So the more that I started sharing it, the more I actually had more people reach out to me and say, like, thank you for not making your life look perfect and like make it look like though you're going through all this really hard crap right now that you're still perfect on your diet and your workout routine and everything. So the more that I shared it, the more that people responded. And I was like, 
hey, it is okay to like take a step back sometimes and just give yourself some grace and be okay with that and share it openly because then people realize you are a real human and you're not just like a robot behind a screen. (laughs) And I just gravitate towards somebody and trust somebody so much more that is saying that because I can relate instantly to that. Anybody can. Yeah. And what an ultimate way to listen and honor your body than saying, I'm really emotionally drained. This doesn't feel good to me. I don't want to eat on plan because in my head, that's not where I'm at. And that's okay too. Because again, life is not a perfect picture of a set plan that goes perfectly every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's really something like, again, like I started this two years ago, which like in some senses seems like a long time, but it really isn't for how much um, almost like damage that I did in the first 30 years of my life of like trying to be perfect all the time. It takes a long time for you to relearn those good habits and not punish yourself when you're feeling like that. Um, So I think like for me, at least this past six weeks, even though I've had some other hard things come up in my life, some things like I just wasn't expecting I I am in a place right now where I'm happy to wake up in the morning and get my workout in because I know that it makes me feel really good and really fulfilled. Whereas two months ago or three months ago when I wasn't sleeping through the night, I was also okay with not doing that. Even though I missed it, it was like, it's okay that that's not happening right now. I just love how you said just giving giving yourself that grace, just showing yourself that love and compassion that most of us so willingly give to everybody else, but somehow feel it's wrong to give that to ourselves. <laughs> That's yeah. So funny that you said that I actually just had a coaching call with one of my coaches that I said the exact same thing is like, how come sometimes it's so easy for you to stop and like do something for somebody else and it's good enough for them, but it's not necessarily good enough for you in the moment when you're considering it. And you have to really kind of take a step back and be like, why? Why isn't it good enough for me? It's the kind of like that saying, like, why would you say something negative to yourself that you wouldn't say to your best friend? So yeah, definitely. It just works on so many different levels and so many different aspects of our words, our actions, our behaviors and thoughts, all of it. Where, Sarah, can everybody find you if they are looking to dive into more of not being hangry anymore, of finally ending yo-yoing, watching your cute pets on all your social media stories, (laughs) where's a good place for them to dive in? So I'm most active on Instagram. It's at Sarah Lynn Nutrition. It's S-A-R-A-L-Y-N-N. And I intentionally left the last name off of it just for everybody's sake of not (laughs) trying to pronounce it it or spell it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So that's where I'm most active. I'm actually in the process of, of, Um, revamping and and I'm going to be back on Facebook and that actually is at Sarah Olszewski Um, so I'm not quite to the point where I'm posting regularly there yet but I'm going to again soon wonderful and all of that will be in the show notes so everybody can go ahead and just click those links and dive in and find Sarah and get the information that they need Um, every episode ends with a few questions so if you are prepared We're going to dive in just a little bit more for you on the spot. Yeah, sounds good. All right. I always like to know, what is the very first thing in the morning that you do that's for you? 
The very first thing that I do is I always drink like 30 ounces of water when I wake up. I don't know how people can't in the morning. When people tell me that they just don't drink water, I just, if you, if you're one of them listeners, I do your thing, but oh my gosh, I don't get it. I know. I like can't function. Like I feel like my whole body is dry until I drink water. So maybe you just get used to it and then you need it more. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that has to be it because I definitely have had my fair share of people tell me that I actually had somebody tell me once that they, they never drink water and I I just, that can't even be real. (laughs) I don't know how. I just don't understand. (laughs) What would you say is your super weapon? My super weapon. Um, So I think for me personally, it's being able to go through super difficult and sometimes traumatic events and being able to evolve from them. And kind of come out stronger because I actually have been through like the ones that I shared today is, is only a percentage of things that I have been through in my life. And I think that everybody has their own, their own, own hardships that they go through, but it's really like, are you letting that send you down the ladder a few steps or are you letting yourself learn from that and kind of take a step up? Mm. And what does being fierce mean to you? Ooh, I like that one. Um, I think, so for me, I think that it means not being afraid to step into something that you're passionate about, regardless of if you feel like people might think something of you. So early on in, in me starting this online business, I was always worried, like, what's Sally Mae from high school thinking of me posting my workouts on Facebook? And really, she either isn't thinking about you at all, or if she is, who cares? (laughs) That's on her. So I think that being fierce is being able to be afraid, but stepping into what you want to do and what you're passionate about anyway. Mm, Such a good message, too. And just those, just getting rid of that chatter, getting rid of that imposter syndrome and just doing what feels aligned for you and trying to tune that white noise out from everybody else. Yes, absolutely. Which also is easier said than done. The theme of all of today, <laughs> easier said than done. Yeah, it's it takes a long time. Like it's it's something that I'm still working on on a daily basis is like that stepping into something that you want to do but scares the crap out of you or other people might think it's not something you should be doing because I was always that box checker so now being somebody who like steps out of the box is is difficult and definitely something that I have to get used to every day when I wake up Mm -hmm. Sarah thank you so much for sharing your story it has a lot of layers and you are so strong and amazing and incredible and I just applaud you for standing up and saying that this is a path that you want to follow and taking the strides to not only help yourself, but help so many other women as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed my time here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit and Fierce podcast. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and download so you never miss an episode and drop me a rating and review. 
It's the best way to support the show and to keep more episodes coming your way. See you next time.